Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. going to get through oil and gas and interest rates very quickly because Mike and I have a special treat here to go through. Oil, I think there's at least $10 in the current month of Ukraine worry because if we really did sanctions like we did with the Iranians, we'd cut cut Russian banks off from the SWIFT system and there would be immediately decline in, in Russian oil exports, at least two or three million barrels a day. And that would that would be that would be uh, at this point in the development of the oil market. Everyone talks hundred dollars. We'd probably see near-term pricing of one hundred and ten or fifteen or something. It'd create a total panic. I personally don't think it's going to happen. I think what's more likely is that Putin is going to just continue to to keep troops on the Ukrainian border and keep trying to exert pressure. I think this is very popular with uh, the average Russian. So he's diverting attention from people who would like to see a different government and using that for his advantage. If that's the case, I think the the whole premium for, which I think is as much as $10 a barrel, in other words, the difference between $88 a barrel and $78 a barrel in the near month, I think it's going to dissipate. In terms of how it affects oil uh, companies, uh, companies that produce oil, I think it makes too much difference because what's really counts is what is the 23 price and the 24 price. And as the Ukrainian premium went up, the backwardation went up. So I, I don't think it's had too much of an impact on the 23 and 24 prices. Natural gas, similar situation. There it's weather-related this time of the year. Here in New York, it's going to be much nicer over the next couple of days. That's not necessarily good for the price of gas. That affects the near-month gas price. It doesn't have anything to do with the 23 and 24 gas price. I think there's pretty good evidence that gas pricing has kind of redone rather than thinking 250 or whatever it was and. 2000 or lower, uh, I, I really think we're in a market where it's going to average 350 or more. I'm not saying there won't be volatility around the 350, but I, I think that is where we're headed. LNG will come down as winter moves to spring. You know, what was $30 in Europe will come down to, I don't know, will rate come down some, I mean, it'll come down to 15, even with all the Plus about the Ukraine and Nord Stream 2 and all that kind of stuff. Same thing will happen in China, I think. 15 is still a terrific number for U.S. gas at three and a half bucks plus two dollars to liquefy plus a dollar to ship it to Europe. I mean, there's still, you know, several dollars of margin in a $15 LNG price. So that'll keep LNG exports high. They're currently around 13 Bs a day. And they're going to go to 16 or 17 just based on 
expansions in existing uh, LNG plants and over the next two years. So all, all that looks pretty good for natural gas. On interest rates, as I said last week, two ways to think about the 10-year Treasury. One is that you, as you run off the, the Federal Reserve balance sheet from $9 trillion of debt to four, and that runoff will happen in like three, three years or so, three or four years, that the right interest rate or the base rate in our economy, the 10-year Treasury rate, is whatever the inflation rate is. You know, it's running 6 or 7% now, but let's say it declines to 3% by the fall, uh, plus a one point of real return, maybe a point and a half of real return. That would that would get you to 4%, 4.5% for U.S. Treasuries. And I personally don't see why that isn't going to happen. The more I read, though, about it, the opposite view is that with the economy slowing down, possibly going to recession, you know, where you have two quarters of a real uninflated GNP decline, that the that the curve will invert. In other words, and, and already has, the spread between two year yield and ten year yield has gotten quite narrow. It's down to like sixty basis points now. This always happens as a recession comes. So it, you know, if the Federal Reserve does four or five quarter point increases and you get to a Fed funds rate of one and a half, since there'd be a tendency towards a curve flattening out, that would still leave you with a 2% 10-year bond, 10-year bonds like a 190 or something, but it wouldn't go to four or four and a half. The other thing is Japan just always has low interest rates for their 10-year bond and the Euro, Euro um, your bank is going to have a tendency to be much slower to increase interest rates or to go to quantitative easing and stop buying bonds or maybe let the bonds they bought run off. So you'll have lower interest rates in Europe, lower interest rates in Japan, and uh, you know the, the yield curve inversion coming that you might only get to two and a half percent or something on ten-year bonds. I think the difference between two and a half and four and a half is a significant issue in terms of impacting the valuation of equities. Mike has said, and you've read elsewhere, that the reason tech stocks have come down is because of higher discount rate on earnings. I'm not sure that's true. I think the reason tech stocks have come down is that that they went up so much, and you know, the four or five. Five or six largest tech stocks, you know, were like 45% of the increase in the indexes last year. And so, as money is drawn out of equities, drawn out of index funds and ETFs and whatnot, they have to sell the things that they own the most of. So, that's what I think is going on. Uh, with that, uh, having, you know, not lavished too much time on those issues. I uh, want to obviously talk about NVIDIA and the impact of settling up with SoftBank, paying a breakup fee of a billion and a quarter dollars. Fortunately, NVIDIA has that money on hand, but that does seem like a pretty big breakup fee. But they just couldn't get it through the regulators. But after Mike gets through that, there are some things that we want to go over 
uh, based on digital advertising and Facebook and whatnot. So we'll have Mike get through NVIDIA. And then, uh, then we have some really interesting things to talk about in terms of uh, the dilemma faced by Facebook so, but, or Meta. But uh, over to Mike on NVIDIA first. All right. So obviously the NVIDIA arm deal is not going to go through. That's been officially um, taken taken down. So I guess we should reflect a little bit on why was this deal exciting in the first place? And then what does this mean for existing shareholders or potential shareholders about the future prospects of the company? If you remember, ARM is a, has a core technology that's key to mobile and Increasingly, ARM IP is finding its way into more and more devices. So think Internet of Things and different edge computing devices and whatnot. At the same time, NVIDIA's core technology, which is GPUs, graphical processing units, which are specifically very good at matrix math and the software packages, which... NVIDIA has developed to make those GPUs very useful, not only for graphics purposes, but also for artificial intelligence type applications. I think NVIDIA saw a clear path where not only could they get access to the best IP from ARM in order to develop an actually competitive CPU for use within the server market, uh, but also opportunities to push licensing of its existing graphical technologies into new markets, just as, such as mobile. So no surprise, a bunch of, of competitors objected to this acquisition. Qualcomm was, and Intel were both um, extremely vocal. Qualcomm, particularly because their key uh, asset in mobile is actually their, their graphics chips. So you can imagine a world where all of a sudden ARM is licensing higher quality, better graphics chips than what Qualcomm's proprietary chips were. You can easily see that they would be against that. Nonetheless, uh, thinking about the NVIDIA data center strategy, we've talked about it in the past. There's three key pieces to it. One is the GPU. Two is the DPU or data processing unit. And the third one is the CPU. So those are the three key components of a modern data center. NVIDIA has two two legs of the stool that are are doing very well today. And, And the data processing unit is from an acquisition of a company called Mellanox. I believe that was announced maybe in 2018 or 19. Acquiring ARM would give them the CPU, but the truth is, is they don't need to acquire ARM in order to develop a CPU. They can do exactly what Apple does, what Amazon does, um, et cetera, and develop a data center CPU, which they are in the process of doing. They have done a CPU in the past with less success. There's pretty good reason to believe that this next generation, which I believe is called Grace, it will be a more successful application for the data center. So uh, all that is to say is what there's a few things that will change with the acquisition not happening. Key being NVIDIA's ability to maybe monetize more of its IP in different channels. But the core strategy for the business remains intact. 
At the same time, by the deal not going through, we don't have the dilution from an initially $40 billion purchase that goes to about $80 billion once the appreciation in NVIDIA shares are counted in. We've got a market that's gone from risk on to risk off. So probably no surprise seeing a positive reaction in the NVIDIA shares, at least here in the short term, as a result of the merger not going through. Um, and then you don't have the execution risk of trying to push IP through the ARM platform. Um, so what happens with ARM is another interesting story as well. I, I've heard ARM described as the lazy monopoly, meaning that it's not profitable and yet it has a tight monopoly. So by them IPOing and maybe becoming more beholden to quarterly results and demanding shareholders, you will maybe see them do a better job of monetizing their product. And maybe that means more R&D pumped into ARM in the long run, and maybe that's a net benefit to to everyone as well. Uh, that's the most hopeful case for ARM. I, d- I don't think that SoftBank has a su- successful of a of an exit on this investment as they would have had with NVIDIA, but I guess that's the next best scenario. The other thing that we want to cover today is, and Mike's going to have to, I can't even begin to pronounce the name of this uh, newsletter. So we're going to turn it over to Mike to do that. Yeah, it's called Stratechery. So it's joining the word strategy and technology. Yeah, Mike says uh, he believes you can sign up for this for $12 a month. Uh, I suspect they have a website you can you can uh, uh, you can uh, you can use your uh, your uh, you know your credit card or whatnot to uh, buy it. Uh, based on my son sent me this article, which is dated yesterday. It's just sensational. Let me give you a couple of insights. First of all, that this thing goes on for about. 14 pages. I, I'm a happy Google stockholder and Amazon stockholder. And to me, as you know, an energy investor who who obviously is interested in tech companies because I'm very interested in companies with free cash flow and Google and Amazon have free cash flow. The insights I got from reading this is that Apple was able by changing um, the way Facebook can deliver information to their advertisers on what's happening. Apple did this, I guess, for privacy. It's called App Tracking Transparency, or short AT&T. It it really took a ding out of Facebook or Meta's results, and you saw the you, you know, you saw the stock went down 25% or something. And then a week later or so, or later, uh, Google came through with pretty good results. And then sometime after that, Amazon came through with pretty good results. And the point here is that Google and Amazon aren't really dependent on uh, their, their Apple's move to have more privacy for their iPhone users doesn't really impact advertising based on search or advert or the advertising that that uh, Amazon does. Guy points out that which is interesting as an Amazon stockholder, 
keep in mind, Amazon was flat last year and is down this year. So if you own Amazon, as I have for the last uh, 13 months, you're down about, you know, five or 10%. Still, it's a, you know, marvelous company and does generate a lot of cash flow. But for the first quarter, fourth quarter, they did break out how much advertising revenue they had. That's a number that they did not disclose earlier. And it's, it's quite a lot of money. So he concludes that in digital advertising, the big three now are not only Facebook and Google, but also uh, Amazon. And I'm going to turn it over to Mike. Facebook's effort to come up with this metaverse stuff is really an attempt to have more independence, I guess, since really what it looks like is like all the games, like the games that Activision does, that, that recently uh, announcement that Microsoft was going to acquire them. One of the great advantages of this for uh, NVIDIA is you're going to need a heck of a lot more GPU capacity to uh, have in your uh, data centers the capability of uh, serving uh, this market. You know, I think that that bodes well for NVIDIA. Now, of course, the question is, is NVIDIA overvalued? And, uh, you know, same question you get on on all these companies. And I think you could say for Amazon, I mean, they had a fantastic four or five years. And if you go 13 months owning one of these companies, you know, full year of 21 and then the first month of 22, and you're down 10%, you know, you're kind of disappointed. But what's happening there is it isn't as though Amazon isn't making progress. It's just the valuation got reasonably high. And uh, on the other hand, uh, Google during that same period was up to about 30%. So one of the advantages of this newsletter, one of the advantages of having the availability of mics for these calls is to the extent that the very large tech companies, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Google, Amazon, um, I, I don't advise getting into them and then getting out of them. But if you're if you if you want to make long term investments, it's better to make a long term investment than the one that looks undervalued now, on overvalued. And alternatively, if if there's kind of a fatal flaw in the strategy of one, namely Facebook, and with the founder uh, controlling all the voting stock is off on a tear to do this metaverse thing. I mean, he's he's the person that's closest to it. He just want to avoid Facebook. And with that, I've used entirely too much airtime, but I've got to turn it back to Mike to comment on my ruminations here about uh, the big tech stocks. Yeah, this has been a really sort of exciting sequence of events because the app tracking transparency initiative by Apple has been pretty public. And if you remember, maybe a year ago or more, Facebook was taking out ads in the major newspapers calling for this not to go through. And and the reality is, is just Facebook's in a strategically poor decision or position because they are so heavily reliant on the ability to track people between apps. The traditional marketing funnel Maybe we should talk about this really quick because it, it'll help highlight the differences between 
Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook, the traditional marketing funnel at the top, it starts with this awareness, right? So you watch an ad on TV, might get exposed to a brand or a particular product. And then you may see it again somewhere else in the grocery store or in a, a retail establishment. And then eventually after seeing it seven times or something, you might finally buy. The internet has made that process more compressed, I think is uh, the best way to put it. And we're starting to see a couple different ways in which people purchase on the internet. It still basically takes that same process of awareness, consideration, and conversion, but it's sort of manifested in a few different ways. So the first way is search. We're all familiar with Google as being the king of search. So if we want to buy something, we might just type it into Google and say, um, you know, Ford F-150. And that's what we want to, we're interested in buying. And then every dealership in our region is trying to serve an ad in front of us to get us to their website. Google has a kind of an advantage from that perspective of knowing exactly what you're looking for. It's not that dissimilar with Amazon. You go to Amazon generally looking for something in particular um, and you type it into the search bar and you get tons of hits. What Amazon's done over the course of the last few years is transform their products page into a marketing driven page. Essentially, Amazon, I believe, realized that there was so much supply of different products that it became difficult and um, unreasonable for Amazon to proper, properly rank which product should go where. So they built in the scoring mechanism where you can say, oh, show me only products that have four stars or higher, for example. But they also built in a mechanism whereby a new product could launch and pay to be placed at the top. And it says it's sponsored and that's okay. But if you're looking for something and you, you see the product you want, first hit, click buy, you're done very quick conversion. Those parts of the advertising business weren't really affected by ATT. What was affected was what Facebook was doing. In particular, what Facebook uh, was very good at is in-app purchases, meaning the whole awareness, consideration, and conversion happened in a very quick span of time. So on Instagram, for example, you may be shown an ad and you could process that transaction all within a matter of seconds. And what Instagram and Facebook were very good at that Google, Amazon are not is showing you products that you didn't know that you needed or wanted. They have so much information on you that they became very good at predicting what products you that might make your life better, better or you'd be willing to buy for that matter that you didn't know you needed. That got damaged by ATT and what that meant is that it cost more money to reach a customer through Facebook than it had previously. And this was really important for e-commerce, especially during the pandemic, since a lot of businesses that weren't purely e-commerce did go exclusively e-commerce. A lot of e-commerce companies did very well. But the dynamics of this full cycle conversion on the Facebook properties enabled Facebook to capture a very high percentage of the total gross margin of a product. Think about it. You have a product that you sell for $100 on, on Facebook. You have a cost of goods on it of 50 If you can get, if you can pay Facebook for purchases, which is the way their model works, you'd be willing to pay up to $50 for Facebook to push sales so long as you have the ability to fulfill those. 
I guess all that is to say is that digital advertising has transformed the way these markets work. It's no longer a strategy of broad awareness, consideration over different channels. There's now different ways to go about doing it. And what we've seen in this shift is the search piece, whether it's through Google or through Amazon, seems to work a lot better. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way because the, the channel and the thing that Facebook did a good job of is to drive awareness of new products. That being said, the challenge with Facebook is that they're beholden to Apple and Google. And it's very likely that Google's version of ATT is likely to have a similar effect, although rumors are that it'll be more diluted. Um, so the, the point being, <laughs> if you want to look at a company that's been um, in a bit good or bad position because of all of this stuff, I agree with Hunt that I like Amazon more than Facebook. Facebook, Zuckerberg is making a big push for the metaverse. And, and whether or not you find that appealing or not may change your mind as to, as to whether that's something that you would want to invest in. I can see how his his purpose of, of building that enables him to have full control, which means he wouldn't be beholden to uh, these other companies. But you're also placing a bet on uh, something that in technology and in a lot of cases, you generally want to shy away from. And that the concept is if you build it, they will come. And I, I don't believe that is frequently the case. So uh, I, th I do think the way that they're spending their cash flow is in some sense betting the farm on a unproven concept. Over the next few years, we're likely to get some really good data about how metaverse is evolving and people are actually using it. And is it just kids? Does it does it transition into a work setting? Do people find it useful? Are they able to effectively produce ads or not? These are all hanging questions when it comes to the metaverse that we don't actually know the answer to. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, and, and we'll get into some of this uh, uh, next week and we'll respond to any questions that are sent in to Diane. But I think it's too early to think about, hey, Facebook has gotten cheap. One of the issues here is antitrust. That's certainly what's got in the way of NVIDIA and ARM. I suppose Apple has to be somewhat careful. <laughs> I mean, suppose this quest towards privacy, in effect, takes market share digital advertising away from uh, Facebook and, and suppose Apple decides that one of their services is, you know, provide uh, digital advertising to, uh, you know, people with services or products to sell, you know, that, that would be a pretty risky thing to do for Apple from an antitrust point of view. I think the, to me, the uh, two winners here are Google and Amazon both pretty fully valued stocks, but to the extent that we get some decline in overall stock market valuations, definitely want to keep those two companies on your, on your list as things that are well-positioned, company strategies are well-positioned that could be worth, you know, a, a great deal more you know, in a four or five year time frame. Now, now Mike, if I overstated that and then uh, and then we'll sign off. 
No, not at all. Good. Well, in the meantime, everyone stay healthy and well. We'll be on next Wednesday. And any emails that come into Diane, Mike and I will try to treat with Violet next time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.